Today we're talking about soil. And I promised you that I was going to tell you why I do not get a soil analysis done anymore. I used to do that when I first started gardening. And I know a lot of people recommend that you need to get a soil test done every year. Well, I just don't do that anymore. And here's why. Okay, so I pulled out my Master Gardener's handbook from years ago. I don't know why I keep this thing. It's just really taking up way too much space and I never use it anymore. But I remembered that I did have a copy of the soil analysis when I did this. And I thought I'd go back and refer to it and tell you what is on it. So for us here in the state of Texas, I think it costs $10, which that's really not the issue why I don't do it anymore. It's not because I don't want to spend $10 a year. And I think I asked someone earlier, um, a few months ago what the cost is now just because I was curious and they said it's $12 so it's still not real expensive and in some states I know that it's free so it's really not a matter of the cost it is the method and why you would do it so when you do this there's a little bag that they give you and I did keep a, a this little bag <laughs> I don't know why um, but I'm using it now so that's good but there's a place where you can put your name and your your business and your information on there and then it has a phone number and but it'll tell you to take 10 or 20 samples from all over your yard and I have a problem with this strategy I have a problem with the way that you take it because I know in my yard I have a place that's real loamy just all on its own that's without me doing anything to it and that when I say loam that is a combination of all of the different things that you would see on the soil triangle so let me just back up and say you have such a thing as soil texture that's your sand silt and clay so if you picture a triangle at each point at each of the three points one of them is sand one of them is silt and the other point is clay. So if you have something somewhere in the middle, it might be called a sandy loam, or it'll be called a sandy clay loam, or it'll be called a clay sandy loam, and there's like, I don't know, 10 or 13 different combinations, depending on exactly what your percentage is of clay, sand, silt. And so on this soil triangle, that is gonna tell you what the texture of your soil is. Now, if you have real sandy soil, you'll know it because it just doesn't hold water. You'll get stuck in it if you're in a vehicle. It's just more like a beach, right? It just doesn't hold water. So you're gonna have problems with the structure, but the texture that you have is a sandy soil. If you have a clay soil, you'll know it because it's real hard. It's almost like concrete, it's real compacted. Now, you don't have to have just clay soil in order to experience compaction, but that's one of the traits of clay soil. Also, clay soil will hold water a lot, too much. So if you're trying to plant something in a clay soil, then you'll know it because it just is just wet. When it rains, it takes a long time for that to drain. Also, you'll know it if you step in it when it's muddy because it's real slippery. Um, you know, it's hard. If I, we have an area in our yard 
where it's very, very clayey. And if I step in it with my boots on, I can't, I cannot get that stuff off of the bottom of my boots. <laughs> so I know that I have some areas in my lawn or in my yard, excuse me, in my yard where it's really sandy. I have some places that's really loamy, which is a combination of all three. And I have some places that are really, really clayey. I know that if I were to go take, and what this bag says, go take 10 to 20 samples, and then they'll have you put it in a bowl and mix it all together. Well, that's not a good indication of the soil that you have of where you're needing to plant it. And it goes back to that critical thinking and observation component of gardening. And this is something you will, you know, would have figured out on your own probably eventually. Again, I'm just trying to save you a little bit of time here but if you're dealing with or several different types of soil in several different locations, why would you mix them, take samples from a clay area, take samples from a sandy area, take samples from a, a loamy area and mix them all together and send it off? I mean, to me, that just doesn't make any sense. Now, it would make sense if you're just working in a, I don't know, one bed, um, a bed where you're trying to grow stuff and you take several samples within a small space, but they're recommending that you go do it all over your yard. Um, and then you, but if you were to take it from that one space, mix it all together, I could see where maybe it would be a better indication of what you have. It's kind of like when you're mixing a cake, right? You put in some flour, you put in some baking powder, you put in some sugar. You want it to all be mixed together. You could, if you don't scrape the bottom of that bowl, when you have it in your mixer or whatever, you know that you're going to have flour kind of caked at the bottom. So you want to get it all mixed up together. But the whole point of this is if you go collect samples from all over your yard, you're, it's really not a, an indication of what it is in that specific location. So that's the problem that I have is going and collecting samples from all over the yard and expecting that to be a good indication of where point A was where you collected, I don't know, five samples. And then you went to another area where it was uh, point B, let's just say, zone B, where you collected another five samples. And then you went to another area and let's just call it uh, zone C, you collected another five well, you know, A could have been sandy, B could have been clayey, um, C could have been a loamy, and then another area would have been, I don't know, something else. It would have been a clay sand loam or whatever. And then you mix all that together, that's just not a good indication of what your soil is in each location. It's, it's, just, not, it's just not a good methodology. I just don't, you know, over the years I have come to I have come to the conclusion this is just not a good data gathering method for me. So that's one reason. The other reason is when you get the report back, you're going to get a report. I'm looking at the book here. It says um, soil analysis report. It's going to tell you what your pH is. So let's talk about pH for a second. So pH, what that means is uh, the power of hydrogen, and it's a very technical um, mathematical equation 
that's based on the power of hydrogen. And there's a lot of numbers behind the numbers you don't really see, but they reduce it down to make it simpler for people. And they put it on a scale from zero to 14. So if it's very, very low, closer to zero, that's very acidic. Or if it's very alkaline, it's way more towards 14. So for gardening, we look at it as we just want to get as close to neutral as possible. But this is kind of fun. If you look at what's very acidic, that would be battery acid is out of 1.0. Your gastric, you know, the acid in your stomach, that's 2.0. Lemon juice is 2.4. Cola is 2.5. And vinegar is three, apple and orange juice is three, beer is four and a half, coffee is five, milk is six, pure water is seven. That's where we want to be as gardeners, as you know, as neutral as possible. Blood is like 7.35, so it's a little bit on the alkaline side. Plain shampoo is eight, seawater is eight. Huh, did not know that alkaline. I'm looking at a table here because I always think this is really interesting. You know, when you go from zero or one to 14, what the the pH factor is. Um, going all the way down to, let's see, um, bleach is 12.3. Um, drain cleaner is 14. So you have it all the way from the very caustic to the very caustic. You know, you, you wouldn't want to touch anything that's a one and you wouldn't want to touch anything that's a 14. That would be bad for you. We as humans cannot tolerate that. Our skin cannot tolerate that. But we as in, in the garden, we want it to be as close to seven for most plants. Now, when someone is in um, a certain kind of soil where it's acidic, they're talking about somewhere around five. They're not talking all the way down to zero. They mean a five, a six, you know, something like that. In some cases, maybe like a four, four and a half. If you're looking for some a plant that wants something that's a little bit on the alkaline side, if you go up past seven, so anything below seven is going to be on the acidic side. Something below, I mean above seven is gonna be on the alkaline side. What I have found is that I have been making my own compost and everything is pretty much neutral. It's really about on the 6.5 side of the scale. But here's why I don't worry about the acidity in the soil anymore if I'm trying to grow strawberries or blueberries or I don't know something that I know grows really well in East Texas because the soil is a lot more acidic there that's where I used to live blueberries did great there pine trees do great there uh, azaleas do great there and then I moved to some place where the soil is not as acidic as it was but it's not really alkaline either it's more neutral where I live but where we have a well, and even if you're on city water, this is a consideration as well. If you go put down something like limestone or lime to change the pH in your soil to make it something that it's not originally or organically in your yard, just the way it is naturally where you live, then that is actually going to be corrosive for your, and it will kill your mycorrhizal fungi 
or your beneficial fungi that's in the soil. It's the same thing with sulfur. If you go to put sulfur down, it's going to do the same thing. But that's not the only reason. The other reason is when you're watering from your well, which is surrounded by all of this parent material that is your soil, whether it's limestone or, or whatever the parent materials where you live, if you're trying to make your soil more acidic, like in my situation, if I was trying to make my soil more acidic, then people might recommend to me that I put down sulfur. And that would make the soil more sour or more acidic. But here's the problem. My well, my well water is sitting in limestone. So when I go to water from my hose, I go water those beds, I'm watering it with an alkaline or, um, yeah, a more alkaline water. So that's why they say you have to keep applying these things. And again, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, anything that you have to add to the garden is probably not good for the microbiology that's living in the soil. That includes the fungi that's there. So it's you're spending money and the money's just going right down the drain. Um, literally, it's just leaching out of the soil, running off your property, onto somebody else's property because you're at the top of a hill or it's leaching down into the water table and that's not really good for anybody. So I don't worry about the pH anymore. I have found that if I can keep my soil at a pretty much neutral, then I haven't had any problems growing blueberries. I grew blueberries here last year. Another thing is you might want to just have, try to find species of plants that are better adapted to where you are. Again, grow where you're planted. Just don't fight against Mother Nature. You know, really, you're better off. So I don't worry about pH anymore. And, you know, for one thing, I'm watering against it and it's not going to stay. You have to keep adding that lime or sulfur, depending on your situation, and I just don't worry about the pH anymore because I am making my own compost and that is keeping the soil uh, at neutral, pretty much neutral. For me, it's about six and a half. And really six and a half is probably better than seven. So this soil analysis is going to tell you what your pH is. And I, you know, I can find that out by just buying a pH meter if I want to. The soil analysis that I got back when I did this, when I first started gardening, it's going to show you con conductivity. I don't really worry about that because I have good structure in the soil. And by the way, structure, so whether you have sand, silt, and clay, that tells you the texture of your soil. And that's never going to change, no matter, well, the only way that it would really change is if you just haul in a whole bunch of something that you don't have. If you're, say you live on the beach, it would take truckloads and truckloads and truckloads for you to work in a lot of clay or a lot of something else to make that a loam soil for you. And I think I've said this before, but your house is probably built on clay because they truck it in and they put that clay down to build a foundation for your house. So clay you know there's that old bible verse um foolish was the man who built his his house on sand you know because sand will just wash away you know it's not going to stay well they bring in clay 
And so when you go to plant anything around your house, you're probably going to experience a clay situation. So the structure of the soil is how those things are arranged. So if you, there's so many professors that are out there on YouTube that are giving you the exact names, you know, like columnar, columnar or platelet or, or whatever it is. I just don't worry about that anymore because I have a lot of really good biology in my soil because I make my own compost because I look at everything under the microscope and not saying that you have to do that. It's just getting that organic matter and not disturbing the soil once you have it in there. Going back to the analysis, it's going to tell you how much nitrogen, chemical fertilizers you need to add. It's going to say that the area represented how many square feet that is. And they're going to give you pound for pound how much nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, sulfur, and sodium that you have. And it's going to tell you what the recommended additives are. So they're going to say, we recommend that you add, you know, 1.3 pounds. Again, this is when I first started, so don't judge me <laughs> because I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I don't know if I knew that I didn't want to do chemical fertilizers, but um, I was making my own compost, but this is when I first started. But it's saying they wanted me to put down 1.3 pounds of nitrogen for every thousand square feet. And I want to say I had 10,000 square feet. So that's how much they're recommending that I put down. Well, that's another reason why I don't get a soil analysis done because I'm not going to follow their recommendations. I'm not going to put down that much nitrogen. It also gave me a recommended, you know, how much to put down of phosphorus, how much to put down of potassium. And I think that's why a lot of people recommend you do get a soil analysis there's a lot of garden gurus out there that are saying, I recommend you get a soil analysis done every year. Maybe you want to do it the first year just for kicks, you know, just to see what you're dealing with. And I did. Whenever I first started, I did do this. So I'm not going to judge you. I'm not even going to know if you do it. But there is a way that you can do a home test with a mason jar. And again, there's a lot of people that are have put YouTube videos up on this on how to do this exactly. Anyway, so it's going to tell the, the YouTube video that you can do. Basically, you're just going to get a clear jar with a lid. You're going to put some soil in it from wherever you want to. And you can do this as many times as you want to because it's free. And you can do get your results right then. But you're going to mix it all up. You're going to put it in this clear jar. It can be plastic. It can be glass. You know, a mason jar works really, really well. You're going to fill it up with some water. You're going to shake it really, really, really good. And everything that settles on the bottom first is going to be your sand layer. Everything that settles next, I don't even remember, is going to be your silt, I think. And then clay is the finest particle, so it's going to be... I would just recommend that you go look at the YouTube video. And it's going to tell you, just, just YouTube or Google, how to do a home soil test um, in a jar. And it's going to tell you exactly how to do that. And you can find out what your soil texture is. 
Now, if I had someone from the Ag Extension Office come here and look at my soil, they would probably say that I have a loamy soil, which is not going to be true. If they were to look at the bed that I know has a lot of clay in it, I've just worked in enough compost extract, organic material. I have not changed the texture of that soil. I've only added structure to that soil in the way of introducing the biology. And I know I've talked about that all, a lot already. We will be talking about that again, but an expert would, without doing an actual soil analysis, if I were to send that same analysis off to a lab somewhere, it would come back and say that that was a clay uh, soil. But to look at it, you would think that it's loam just because of the way that I manage the soil. Okay, so I wanted to also say about the soil analysis, this doesn't give you all of the mac micronutrients. This is only gonna do your basics, right? Your NPK plus a few other um, macronutrients. But it's not gonna give you, on looking at this report, it's not gonna give you what you have in the way of iron, zinc, manganese, copper, boron. It's not gonna give you what kind of toxins or pathogens might be in the soil. It's not going to give you a full analysis. I think you can get that, but it's a whole lot more expensive. In the case of my neighbors down the road, uh, they're not really my neighbors, I guess. They're not right, right next door to me, but they had a situation where they were spreading biosolids in a neighboring field. Well, the TCEQ, they came in and they, because everybody was complaining that they were spreading these biosolids, which by the way is human waste, uh, from the big city, you know, a county away, they were making it into pellets, spreading this human manure all over the pastures because the farmer wanted it. But the wind was blowing and it was blowing onto other people's property. And I really wanted to get the lady on here that I had a lot of conversations with. She was saying that it just smelled like you were living inside of a porta potty, which is horrible. <laughs> I didn't smell it, it didn't affect me, but we did a lot of talking about it. And I said, you know, that just doesn't seem like a good thing because it smells. I called the company, it's a whole other show, but that the same day that they came out and put a cease and desist order up on, you know, they posted this and said, um, we're not, you know, we're not allowing this anymore because it's a public nuisance. The EPA came out with a report saying there was 362 toxins and pathogens that they found in there. Well, the lady was asking, you know, should I be concerned about growing food in my own yard? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long it takes for that stuff to leach out of the soil. Um, I don't know how much is blown over. I don't know if they did that. I think she's living in a, pre a pretty new house, like within the last year or two. I don't know if maybe the farmer that sold that land for them to build on might have been um, treated with these biosolids before they decided to subdivide and start building houses on it. So, you know, this report that I'm talking about, this soil analysis is not going to tell you if you have things like that on your property. So that would be a whole other test. That would be a whole other requirement. So anyway, that is why 
I don't do the soil analysis anymore. First of all, I don't really care about the pH because I'm watering with water from my limestone well, which is alkaline, and it would be, if I put down sulfur, then it's going to hurt the biology that I'm working so hard to work into the soil. It's gonna be corrosive, it's gonna be caustic, it's gonna burn up the biology that I have put down in there. If you remember back when I was talking about nitrogen fixation on that show where you um, we talked about how to fix nitrogen into the soil by using plants that pull the nitrogen out of the air and put it into the soil. I think it was the University of, I don't know, who was it, Mississippi or something that was saying, don't put down any kind of limestone or sulfur because it could be, it could hurt the inoculant that you're going to be putting on your legume seeds um, that will help fix the nitrogen into the soil. So there's just so many reasons why I don't do all of these additives. And if I'm not gonna do all of these additives, then there's no reason for me to get a soil analysis. So when it comes to growing where you're planted to conclude this series, we talked about USDA hardiness zones. And if you don't know what that is, then go back and listen to day one. That would have been Monday. I think most people are very familiar what, with what a USDA hardiness zone is, but just to know that it's kind of a moving target like all of these things, but you just need to have a general idea. You just need to hit the target. You don't have to hit the bullseye. And there's ways that we can fudge a little bit. For instance, I'm in zone eight. I could probably get, take, find a microclimate on my property that will take it down to zone six, maybe seven up to zone nine. I can find somewhere on my property that I can make that USDA hardiness zone kind of irrelevant, really. And then day two, we talked about first and last frost dates and how that's an average based on historical data. It's really an indication of the future but it's not a crystal ball, <laughs> but it is a good thing to know. Uh, we also talked about chilling hours. It's just important that you know that some things need to chill, some, especially fruit trees and nut trees, there, and there are varieties that you can look for that will work within your chilling hours, unless you are somewhere close to the equator somewhere. Also, we on uh, day four, we talked about the sun path and how it's different in the wintertime than it is in the summertime. But we also talked about microclimates and how I name my microclimates not like another kind of zone like 8 or A or C or Z. I name it after the origin of where that plant originated from, where it's native to. So I have areas in my yard that I consider to be Mediterranean or the jungle or Africa or... Um, just different places from where that plant came from. I look at an area and I say, you know what, this looks like the desert to me. Even though there's grass there, it's just kind of out on its own. There's no trees to protect it. There's no wind breaks. Um, but I look for where the shade is, where the shade moves, where it's a little bit cooler because there's a wind tunnel there. You know, just different things on my property where I see is an opportunity for me to grow something that likes it there. 
And another strategy that I have done is to just, you know, buy a flat of something, spread it out all over the yard, knowing that it's going to be kind of the sacrificial lamb and see where it's the happiest growing. That's the quickest way. Instead of trying season after season, you know, you can go back and listen to that episode. And I've used strawberries as a plant, as an example of that. But that is something that I have done multiple times in multiple properties is I just plant them everywhere and I just see where they're happiest and where they want to live. And not until I started doing that did I find where the strawberries want to be because they'll tell me where they want to be. So I would say I spent $24 on a flat of strawberries and I probably have six locations where they're still growing from last year. I'm okay with that. So six, that's $4 per plant if I look at it that way. And now I know where I can plant more of them and feel comfortable that that's where they want to be. So that's another kind of methodology for looking for a microclimate in your yard. Um, it's just kind of planting them everywhere and knowing that you're going to have up front, knowing up front that you're going to have some successful failures because you're going to know, okay, that's not the place or that's the place. Yay. <laughs> so that's what we talked about this week on this little mini series. And I have got to get busy out in the greenhouse. I'm planting about 10,000 plants, seedlings in the greenhouse. So yay. I'm so excited. So you guys have a great weekend and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye for now.